0: everybody, I'm Scott Bernstein, and welcome to the latest episode of the Jambase Podcast, a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. This installment features my interview with Greg Loyquano and Tim Bloom from the Mother Hips. The band, who recently celebrated their 30th anniversary, also features bassist Brian Rashap and drummer John Hofer. The Mother Hips will release a stellar new album entitled Glowing Lantern, Via Blue Rose on December 3rd. We'll hear my chat with Greg and Tim shortly, but first, an update from the Mo Camp. As we mentioned on last week's episode, Mo guitarist Chuck Garvey continues to recover from a stroke. When Mo initially announced the news, they didn't address their upcoming tour dates. However, earlier this week, the band confirmed the cancellation of most of their December concerts. There is an exception as Mo will move forward with a two-night stand at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York on December 10th and 11th. This venue means a lot to us and feels like the right place for us to play at this time, wrote Mo in a note explaining the decision to perform at the Cap. We plan to have some special guests join us throughout the night and hope you can join us, added Mo. Tickets for both shows are on sale now. Our thoughts and love continue to go out to Chuck. And for those who want to help, a GoFundMe campaign has been established by MoFans to cover some of Chuck's out-of-pocket expenses. In news that brings a huge smile to my face, over $100,000 was raised in just the campaign's first three days. Now, you know we love our bust-outs at Base headquarters, and to a particular note, took place on Monday night. The Rolling Stones brought their 2021 tour to Detroit's Ford Field, and as frontman Mick Jagger told the crowd, you can't come to Denver and not do a Motown number. With that in mind, the Stones played the Temptations classic Ain't Too Proud to Beg on Monday for the first time since August 26, 2007. Jam scene veteran and Stones touring saxophonist Carl Denson took an amazing solo during the cover. Elsewhere on Monday, Genesis took the stage in America for the first time in 14 years as the band kicked off the North American leg of their The Last Domino Tour in Chicago. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, they, well, they went with the same set list as the shows they played earlier this fall in the UK with one major change. Genesis replaced Duchess with their 1980s smash, Misunderstanding. Chicago fans spared witness to the first complete misunderstanding live performance in over 37 years, as the song was last played in full on February 27, 1984. Have you made plans yet to go see live music on New Year's Eve? Ring in 2022 with the Disco Biscuits in their hometown of Philadelphia. Government Mule returning to New York City. The infamous String Dusters playing in Richmond. Railroad Earth rolling into Denver the Ava Brothers hosting a home state show in Greensboro, Dark Star Orchestra illuminating Albany, The Strokes in their native Brooklyn, and Galactic in their hometown of New Orleans. You could also spend December 31st with Fish, Widespread Panic, The String Cheese Incident, Unfreeze McGee, My Morning Jacket, Green Sky Bluegrass, Billy Strings, Goose, STS-9, Leftover Salmon, Lotus, Soul Live, Talk, Pitt is playing ping pong, Club Delph, and many others. Click the New Year's tab when searching Jambies for concerts to see who you'll be singing Auld Lang Sign" with at New Year's this at midnight this New Year's. Okay, now let's get back to the mother hips. I spoke with Tim and Greg in October via video chat from their respective homes in California's Marin County. They both live near Terrapin Crossroads, and I spoke with them about how much we love Phil Lesh's restaurant and venue. Well, sadly, Terrapin Crossroads closed shortly after my chat with the musicians. My conversation with the co-founding members of the Mother Hips took place shortly after the band's Hypnic Festival in Big Sur, California. And the pair shared their experience at the returning of the, of the event, which was moved from 2020 due to the pandemic. Greg and Tim explained their role in putting on the event and that of Organizer's Folk Yeah. Mother Hips put out their 2018 LP chorus and released Glowing Lantern through Blue Rose music. Tim recalled how he forged a friendship and working relationship with Blue Rose founder Joe Paletto that continues to pay dividends to this day. Blue Rose issued all of the Mother Hip studio albums on vinyl over the past year in celebration of the band's 30th anniversary. The duo spoke about the challenges of securing the rights to some of their early records and how much they enjoyed listening to their old LPs. Greg even revealed those listening sessions helped inspire the material on Glowing Lantern. From there, we discussed Glowing Lantern, starting with the decision to have Tim and Greg co-produce the album. Glowing Lantern marks the first time the Mother Hips didn't bring in an outside producer. It went so well the pair will helm the band's next album after Glowing Lantern. The guys went on to discuss how the Mother Hips recorded the album live in Oakland before adding overdubs at Bloom's home studio and why they liked that approach. Additionally, Tim and Greg spoke about musicians who contributed to Glowing Lantern, including keyboardist Adam McDougall. Glowing Lantern marked a number of changes for the mother hips besides just the producers. Greg and Tim wrote the songs collaboratively for the first time in a while and discussed the experience, which they felt set them up for success. Plus Glowing Lantern is the band's first album to feature a covered David Wiffen's. I don't want to drive you away. The pair revealed how they discovered the song on an Ann Murray cassette purchased at a truck stop. Finally, Greg and Tim talked about the Mother Hips annual holiday run at San Francisco's Great American Music Hall. The duo shared memories of past holiday runs, with this year's installment scheduled for December 17th through 19th. Let's hear a bit of Glowing Lantern lead single, Looking at Long Days, as the intro to my interview with Greg and Tim of the Mother Hips. tim and greg and we're excited to have them back on the jam Base podcast to discuss their fantastic new album glowing lantern and more uh guys can you introduce yourselves to our listeners so they know who they're hearing from greg do you mind going first
1: yeah hi it's greg loicano from the mother hips i'm speaking to you from Nevada, california from my home and i'm happy to be here and tim
2: Hey, I am Tim Bloom, also from the Mother Hips, and I am speaking to you from my home in Fairfax, California.
0: Terrific. We were talking before we started about how cool it is to be that they're very close to Terrapin Crossroads, and I am very jealous of that. That is an an amazing place, and especially once the bar shows get going again and uh, they can do more indoor stuff.
1: Indeed. Yeah. But the outdoor venue is really great. The Mother Hips played there in July and we had a wonderful time out there.
0: Terrific. And and speaking of live performing, we're recording this uh just the weekend after the return of Hypnic, um your yep. f- at festival in in Big Sur. And before we get into Glowing Lantern, uh how did this year's Hypnic go?
2: It went it went well. Um I think they trimmed down the attendance just a little bit from normal years, but from my experience, it seemed the same to me. It seemed, I, I wouldn't, I didn't really notice anything that was different. There wasn't the chili cook off, which I was, this <laughs> no. one, that was, yeah. that was a real. Um, it was absent. Like, yeah. Actual difference. You know, it just seemed the same to me. What do you think, Greg? Like, I,
1: Yeah, I definitely missed the chili kickoff too, for sure. (laughs) But, uh, but, um, yeah, I think that it didn't, yeah, it didn't seem much different, especially when, you know, the head, when we, our sets came on at night, it was, people were out there and it felt, it felt, um, it felt great. It was, I, I know that the first night as a lot of times when you do two nights in a row at the same place, um, is that it, it takes a little time to get adjusted to the sound. And I think. Yeah, that, it did take you a little time, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, it took me a little time. No, but just in in general, you're kind of like settling in. And I, I I Tim had said something sort of after that there was, there was a little sense of trying to like find, like since we haven't been playing that live that much, there's been enough. But just finding yeah. it, the connection, like it just felt like we had to like it took a little time like reintroducing yourself to somebody that you haven't talked to in a long time but by saturday night for me and um and i think that i heard the whole band say this is that it was it was on by like the first note and it was really happening and friday was great too it just had a had a uh an energy of like settling in so more so than the normal hypnic but yeah
0: and did you guys oh, yeah, get this i'm sorry you're gonna say something Tim?
2: well I, I think that we you know our band doesn't do a whole lot of two you know multi-night stands but when we do it seems like generally the the they, the shows get better as they go just because sound guys get everything dialed in a little bit better the band actually has a chance to sort of react to some things that might not have been going correctly the first night in terms of tone or stage volume or stuff stuff like that. So you always have a chance to improve on the night before and nothing changes except the things you want them to change, you know?
1: Yeah. But it was a great weekend, man. There were so many good, so many great performances Love played their, their album forever changes. I mean, there was one original guy and the rest of the band is the band, baby lemonade. And they played that entire record, which is an influential record. I mean, we were listening to that record in Chico in the first, you know, first couple years of the band being together. And then vetiver, we got to listen to vetiver and little wings and, um, rambling Jack. Yeah. I'm just a great, great lineup. And, and no tavern shows, which was, felt good. Like, it was nice to, not to have to worry about being indoors. I, I felt sure. very comfortable where I could be, have as much space as I needed to. And and there's, the, the grounds are big there. So anybody that needed to sort of get space could.
2: Yeah, plenty of fresh air. Yeah.
0: And you guys, do you guys curate the lineup with Britt of uh yeah, who's such a great guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, we work we work with Britt on getting bands that we all agree on. And um Britt is really the, you know, he's he he's by far the most important guy. But, who, he, yeah. He does the whole he does all the work and we just are lucky enough to get to work with him on that. And um, but he's really the the MVP of the of the whole thing every year. He works his butt off. Yeah.
0: And you guys are celebrating your thirtieth anniversary this year, a little later than planned due to the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. But part of the celebration was the release of your first nine albums on on vinyl. Um, first, that came out through through Blue Rose Music, and who's yeah. putting out "Glowing Lantern." Um, how did you start working with with Joe and and the Blue Rose team?
1: You want to um, jump in on that, Tim?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, we have a, a close friend uh, named Jason Crosby, who's a spectacular musician and friend and he, player. Yeah, yeah. He's incredible. And he, he had like somewhat recently moved from the East coast, I think. So he was showing up at, at Terrapin a lot and a lot of places in Marin County and in Northern California in general, cause he had just moved out here. And so I became friendly with him. And, um, and he asked me if I would help him write some songs for a record he was recording, a solo record. And so we happened to be uh, doing some shows in, in Kauai. And we had a bunch of time to hang out, sit around and play guitar. we wrote a bunch of songs for his new record. And then we came back to his house in Sonoma to rehearse. And Joe Paletto, who is the, the, the founder of Blue Rose Music, he came over to hear the songs and I met him for the first time. And, um, he really liked what we had done together, what Jason and I had done together. And He asked me to record a version of a Steve Forbert song for a Steve Forbert, uh, covers album that he was putting out. And that went well. And he liked that. So Joe and I just became friends and he wanted to sign me as a solo artist, which he did. And it was awesome. It came at a really good time for me. I was in the hospital a lot, um, recovering from a, an injury. And he, it was just good timing because it gave me like this purpose. And he, he had, he was very, he's a really active guy. He always has a lot of plans. A lot of, you know, I started recording music for him right away and it pretty much hasn't stopped for however long that's been, six years, five years now. And pretty soon, I started telling him about Greg and, and also the mother hips at, at the same time. And he hadn't really heard of the mother hips or he hadn't even really check, <coughs> checked, checked them out. But as soon as he did, he, he started hanging out with Greg and listening to what Greg was doing and listening to what the hips had been doing. And he got really, Joe got really excited about all that stuff too. So he offered the hips and Greg both, record deals um not too long after that and then we just started cranking out
1: solo records and and <laughs> mother hips records yep pretty much been, constantly working on something um, yeah between th- those three projects you know it's really it's been great yeah Paletto has been just
2: yeah. an incredible an incredible uh thing to happen to our band he's just so motivated and he just make stuff happen, and we just try to keep up with them. And not to so mention, <laughs> he's got a
0: foundation too that helps raise money for yes, course, underprivileged right.
2: children, I, I which should, is great. Yeah, I should mention. Yes, what you just said, um, Joe Poletto started the Blue Rose Foundation before the label um, to help underprivileged uh, preschool-age kids get um, proper educations, like um, through grants and scholarships. And so we played some Blue Rose Foundation um, benefit events for the Blue Rose Foundation previous to being involved with the label, and then right, yeah. And then he signed. And then he he sort of formed the label because he he just loves music. He's really really into it.
1: Yeah.
2: So we continue to do some some stuff for the for fundraising and. Um,
1: yeah, the third the thirty year the vinyl releases are all hundred percent of those uh, the money made from the, uh, re-releases went to Blue Rose. Foundation. I didn't realize we're, that. Fair yeah. Agree. Going to Blue. Yeah. And that was actually Joe's idea. We were last summer, uh, 4th of July, our families were hanging out and he's like, what are you guys going to do for your 30 year? And we're, well, we're not going to play that. You know, we didn't, nothing on the books at all. And, um, and he just kind of suggests, well, we should put everything out on vinyl and kind of <laughs> And and then within two weeks, we were like working on it. It happened like that. And uh, and so that's been really fun. And uh, Tim and I have been listening. Well, it's over now, but like throughout the whole year of this year, we've been listening to test pressings of all the old records, ones that were miss. never on vinyl. You know, everything, but you know, anything before Kiss the Crystal Flake never made it out on vinyl. And so we had this opportunity to listen to Back to the Grotto and, and Part Timer and Shootout and Later Days. Green Hills, those records that were never on vinyl. Um, we had like normally we would only only time we ever listen to that. If we listen to that music is like if we're going to do one of those records at a show or we're going to sure. rehash a new song. We're like, oh, yeah. OK, we're going to do Life in the City and Poison Oak at the show. Well, Poison Oak, we always do. But, um, you know, we have to re 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 listen to these songs. But this was actually listening to the full album, making sure it sounded good. And then going, holy crap, this is what we used to sound like, you know, and it actually sort of, and I think Tim was saying in an interview the other day that I was listening to how it sort of influenced Glowing Lantern in a way of like, not necessarily (laughs) trying to do what we did, but because we were listening to so much Old Mother Hips, I think that some of that, the spirit of that music came out in this record, um, whether it was consciously or unconsciously, um, Yeah, so yeah,
2: yeah, that was that was serendipitous timing because we yeah, we were immersing ourselves in our old catalog, which is we would never do. Why would you ever do that?
0: (laughs) An ultimate set list show.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so that would happens sometimes.
2: You weren't we weren't listening to the albums, we were listening to the specific songs and we were listening to them with the with the mindset of learning them, not not just like absorbing them. Yeah. But, was yeah, it? We were, it was interesting. We sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember that that trick we used to do or I remember that kind of that way we used to do stuff. And it it was I thought it was great. And and that'll probably carry on into our upcoming recording sessions, too, I think.
0: Was it a challenge to secure the rights to the old albums? Huge
2: challenge. Yeah. OK,
1: it was only yeah. those two, though, right? American- so uh, Yeah, the two American ones. But yes, go ahead, Tim. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. No, no. Um,
2: shootout and Part-Time and Part-Time goes full were both owned by Warner Brothers. And we had tried off and on through the years or many, many people on our behalf had tried to secure those rights. And we were unsuccessful for, for years and years and years. And um, some of the, you know, the office gals at Blue Rose just, made it happen
1: they they figured it out
2: yeah and michelle also-
1: michelle went in there i don't know who she talked to but she came out and we were able to um, at least reissue the stuff i mean they still own them but blue okay. rose was she figured out a way for blue rose to license it to get the stuff that stuff wasn't even up on streaming and yeah they went in there and did did what couldn't be done by many before them so Incredible. kudos kudos to the blue rose team on that for sure.
2: Think that's had a, a really positive um, effect on the people that are listening to our music because now people can actually hear those records that were pretty formative in, for our band and they're pretty a pretty important part of of our musical story and our musical history and it would be like it would be like reading a novel but you only had like the the last, half of the book sure <laughs> and you'd be like yeah it was really good That was a good book but I, i'd sure like to know what how it got to the point where i started reading it yeah it's a great point. pretty important
0: and one more thing before we get to uh glowing lantern and i wanted to thank you guys because jambase had the pleasure of premiering a hot lunch with the mother hips um yeah, yeah. a uh movie uh a, sh- a short film that you guys Put together um, that was previously unreleased, featuring footage from your early d- days. And one thing I was unclear on was why wasn't it released back then?
1: Do you recall? I, I, uh I think it was just, you know, our friends, you know, Mark sundin and Christoph Surtik, who were following us around and helping us on the road. And they took that footage. I think they just kind of made it for all of us to check out it was never right like i don't think at home
2: it was just like home video yeah it
1: was just for us to to stoke on and be like oh cool and and especially back you know it's i and by the way thank you and jam Base for doing that because when i showed it to kevin you know we ended up having somebody maybe bill DeBlanc, found it you know the whole thing for us it was kind of floating around and I was like, Kevin, this thing's really interesting and cool, but it's old and it's pretty crappy and it's long, you know, it's, it's not, wasn't super long, but it was like longer than con- a lot of content. You get a sure. video that's three minutes long and that's already past people's attention span. Um, so Kevin was like, know ah, that's pretty cool. So I'm really glad you guys put it out. Cause it, for us, it's cool, but we might, you know, other people, it's like, you know, watch these guys walking around northern california so but yeah it was never it was just those guys did it because they could and wanted to and it basically did it for all of us just kind of see
0: So now, as far, far as the album, uh, you guys usually bring in outside producers, um, but this time around, the, the the two of you produced co-produced "Glowing Lantern." Uh, first, can you tell me about the decision to go without an outside producer?
2: Um, I mean that basically came from the label. Um, uh, I've been producing some music for other Blue Rose artists and, and Greg's been producing some music from some other artists that aren't necessarily part of Blue Rose, but, um, it just seemed like the right time. And, and Joe Coletto again, just kind of came in and said, I think you guys, I think it's time that you guys start producing your own records. And that, it's a big responsibility because it's, it's very different to step into that kind of a role within your own band because it's good that it's Greg and I together because it's just, it would be too, it's not, usually a producer is, is somewhat, um, objective, you know, it's kind of like a, an objective third party or second party or whatever, but, um, so, so it's tricky for, you know, it's hard when one member of the band is going to come in and produce the record. It doesn't really represent what the band is doing, but the fact that Greg and I could do it together, was made all the difference, and it was it was a pleasure. We had a good time doing it. It was stressful. Um, we we worked our butts off to get it done, but um, we were pleased with the result. And we're going to do it again. Yeah,
0: that's that was that was a, qu- a yeah. question. It mm-hmm. came
2: it came together very well, and I dare say that it as as much as we've valued and continue to value the work of outside producers it allowed us to kind of work directly on the music without another person's influence, which at times can be really good. You know, sometimes you need that, but some, you know, you you don't always, we've been making records for a really long time for ourselves and for other people. And so we're qualified to do it. And, um, we worked, Greg and I worked really well together. We didn't really disagree on anything. We've been doing it so long together in this band with this sort of same energy and same formula that we just, we have the same visions for the most part. And we know when, yep. Don't agree. We, we trust the other guy enough so that it worked really well. I mean, we should, we should produce like other people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we also know, we also know that like he knows if I can do better than I'm doing and I know that he could, do, you know, like we we've we, we've seen we've Another seen world. each other, you know, at, at the worst and, and the best. So like if he's doing something and he'll trust if I could be like, try it tomorrow, because you're going you, to I guarantee you'll be able to sing it better tomorrow because I, yeah, really I know. Yeah, it's really true. I know that it's not
2: just a, a talented producer just doing what he does with all artists. It's, it's Greg saying like I. You or like you're not gonna get better than that. Like I know that right, was right. a scratch, <laughs> but don't don't re-sing it because it's we'll, we'll deal with the scratch vocalness yeah. of it.
1: And but it's did, got like, your thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like that's the take. You got it. Like let's let's move on. And mm-hmm. so kind of and saved my, us time.
0: And and my understanding is that you recorded it um in Oakland at 25th recording and you recorded it live. Um is that how you usually go about recording Mother Hip's albums?
1: Yeah, I, I, for the, yeah, for the for the most part, um, we usually track as a four piece. Sometimes a five piece with some keys. Um, there's been times and and certain <coughs> certain recordings where it's been a lot more um, parsed out than that. Um, but yeah, this time it was just the the four piece. It was Tim and I and Brian Rashap on bass, and of course John Hofer on drums. And then um, yeah, anything else you want to add to that, Tim?
2: We we were able to set up all. I think for the most part the amps were even in the same room. I can't remember the session. I've done a lot of sessions there, but it, it's just a big, nice Twenty Fifth Street Recorders has a beautiful live room and it's big enough so you can kind of get all the instruments in the same room and you can all sit together. And we we weren't going for the vocals so much because in, in most cases the they weren't the lyrics weren't even done yet. So yeah we weren't, it wasn't all, all the way live, Scott, like, like some, like it could be but most of the pretty much all the guitars and the bass and drums were all recorded live. And then we took the, the, the tracks from the studio and came to my house and did almost all of the rest of the overdubbing, like all the vocals, almost all the vocals and some overdub guitars and some keyboard stuff. We had Adam McDougall from, uh,
1: from uh the crd yeah, circles up. around the songs yeah circles and all yeah. that yeah of course danny eisenberg came and played on some stuff and the fifth hip he did his stuff remotely yeah. actually yeah. yeah oh right and then yeah. actually scott i mean nobody else will be able to see this but right behind tim is where we did like pretty much all the the vocals oh very um, cool yeah it's a good yeah. he's got a great house for recording Who the coffee brothers played on some stuff and yeah
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie Coff has played some piano and Jamie and Kellen both sang some stuff. And uh, yeah, we didn't have a ton of other musicians, but I think that's that's just about it. Right. Yeah, I think so. Scott Hirsch added a little uh, percussion like
1: drum programming a little bit. Right. Yeah
0: very and Greg you had worked with with Scott before um
1: yeah on Mystic so, Traces yeah. and and currently on a a project that I'm working on right now as well very some nice. with some new music yeah
0: excellent um Speaking of that, you, you both have, and I mean, I guess this, this is true of chorus as well, your your last album, but you, you both have spent a good deal of time working on your your own material. Did that inform the process of creating Glowing Lantern at all? Are there things that you took from working independently on your own projects that you brought to the hips?
2: Yeah, it's all it's all kind of, you know, all. All the musical ideas—not all of them, but the vast majority of any musical idea comes from an individual. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's that's of course, yeah. I mean, it, all, all the experience that we've had individually and collectively goes into every recording session that you do. So, yeah, I mean, of course,
0: it's all part of the experience. I, I'm yeah, sure. it's all
2: we don't like we don't like change our personalities when we. <laughs> work with different yeah some people do but we, <laughs> we just kind of do what we do just kind of roll into the next thing yeah <laughs> yeah and some of the songs were um written individually as they often are but but on this record particularly um greg and i were able to collaborate um a lot and that was awesome super super good good feeling to be able to do that and um, so
1: we did that more than we had in the past. And we're probably going to keep doing it like that. Yeah, that's kind of carrying on into the, the record we're going to start recording in November.
0: In Santa Fe, is my understanding? Is that your plan that
1: still? That is correct. Uh, um, I'm not sure the name of the studio, John O'Manson oh, Studio. What is it? Kitchen Sink. The Kitchen Sink.
2: John O'Manson, yeah.
0: Um you, you were talking about writing the songs together and I love the way in particular that you did it. Um again my my understanding is that you went on a lot of hikes together and you'd reach a really cool yeah. place and play each other on your phone different um uh, musical ideas. Right. It, yeah. it, um I I got to imagine that was a fun experience.
1: Yeah, it was and it was um at that like while we were going on those hikes that you're referring to that was like the biggest thing we were doing in life at that time because it was it was during the lockdown so like getting in my car driving down to fairfax meeting tim out on his deck you know standing 6 feet apart <laughs> all this stuff and then going on a hike um that was like a big day sure you know and so there was that fact um, but also the more we did that and we were talking on the phone, you know, a, a lot more than we've ever talked on the phone. I don't, I don't remember us ever talking on the phone, except maybe on like when we were in college on like Christmas break or something like that, you know, but otherwise we're, we either text or we get an email, see you there. And then we talk to each other at shows. And then we're, when we're on our own, uh, doing our own stuff, we stay in contact, but we're not necessarily talking unless something yeah. really needs to be talked about. We were talking every, we still are, but we were I mean, during the pandemic. I think it started just by checking in on each other's mental health. And what are we going to do as far as survival, as far as financially and how, yes, how, yeah. next how, are career. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What 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 are you starting to work on as for your next job and how are your how are parents, you know, and all that stuff? And that just sort of rolled into the music, I think. I think that that and and in a way that it was a really good setup for doing more um, collaborative songwriting producing together, mixing together. I mean, Tim was really at the head of the mixing, but I was right, you know, right there with him the whole time. Yeah. and le- learned a lot. I'm hoping that each, you know, on this next one, when we mix it together, I'll be able to, um, partake even more. Um, but it just sort of set in a, in an interesting way, those hikes and this sharing the voice memos and stuff sort of set it up just right. So that when we did get, um, into the studio. And then like, by the time, I think, you know, when we day one of tracking in Oakland to, you know, day, whatever it was finishing up the mixes was within like a month and a half of, of time, which is by far the quickest we've ever done a project like that. And there was a timeline, which was great. We kind of need that. Otherwise we'll just let it ride forever. you know. And uh, so that timeline was good, but man, it was like, you know, I think I think all of that stuff beforehand really helped set that that up, so we were just ready to work.
0: you know, looking at long days was a song that hit me particularly hard. Um, you know, because it it really. It seems like the days have gotten longer and the years are getting shorter and Mm. uh, it it is a really weird feeling to, and the pandemic has just accentuated that so much for for me. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree with you.
0: So it was cool to hear a song that, that dealt with that. But my favorite song on the album is, is uh, Clay Mask Clown. I mean, it's (laughs) got such a powerful groove um can you tell me about how that song in particular came together
2: <laughs> I'd rather not um <laughs> that's one of my favorites too it's it's a it's a it's, a, it's one of those songs that kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety honestly okay be, fair enough if i could be honest which i think is good from a from like a artistic standpoint but uh, it's it's dealing with some uncomfortable sure situations that were in, happening to me and um it, it's like once in a while i like i said i think it's good but once in a while you you can you kind of go for it lyrically and the devil <laughs> take that
0: well I, as a listener i per- particularly enjoyed it so i just wanted well, to well i'm glad know. someone can sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: but, but greg actually was i i i I had you know some serious talks with Greg about. I made him do it. <laughs>
0: okay.
2: <laughs> hey, it's like, it's your fault, yeah. No, I mean, but yeah, we were you know obviously bouncing off lyrics off of each other, and it was you know Greg probably at some point said like shit. That's 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 tough. That's that's kind of gnarly. Yeah. Um, and maybe it doesn't come across that way if you don't know the, the backstory, which I will not share. But um, mm-hmm. it's nothing you couldn't imagine. But. Greg sort of said, I think you should go for it. Um, I don't know if he had like a whole lot of conviction in it, but he did say it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It worked Somehow it stayed on the album. And, and it's also Scott, one of my favorite tracks, the energy and the just, it's such a rocker, you know, and that definitely harkens back to some of the old hip stuff, but with, with a different newer energy. And then the, the idea of sort of, you know, we always have our, um, what we call puppets, you know, like the sort of the the what what's the references, you know? And I know that certain people in in certain studios, they have the 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 reference jar. If you make too many references to other <laughs> bands, then you have to put money in it. Um, yeah, like Bon Bon. Yeah, you can't do that one. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't. You can't make any references, and you know, certain like Dave Schools had the tip jar, the the reference jar out. You know, he had to, you know, when I was just doing that stuff with him, and so trying not to mention any references when you're in a studio, it's like have to anyway. Back to what I was talking about is sort of there was this who vibe to the song that we were trying to capture, and then. yeah. Well, I just put it in, I just put five bucks in the in the jar. <laughs> I just, I just PayPal Dave Schools. Yeah. Um and uh and so, but I think you had come up with, you know, the synth kind of, you know, Bob O'Reilly, is it Bob O'Reilly? I think the the yeah. one with the and five. and sure enough, when we had Adam up there, Adam had at McDougal, he had his uh Moog, and we were messing around with sounds and he just <laughs> he's really amazing at that stuff that was i've actually have some good video of tim standing next to adam and them talking about um that that loop that's happening sure. which he performed it wasn't even our arpe- he was like yes. performing the arpeggios wow
2: that's the craziest thing about what adam mcdougall did on on clay mask clown is that he Normally when you use like a sequencer or an ar- arpeggiated sequencer like that, you play, the band plays to the, to the arpeggio speed. It's like the click track. Sure. But we had recorded the song already. Yeah. And I don't think there even was a not a usable click track on that, on those floor takes. And so the only way Adam could get that to work is to actually play the arpeggios with his right hand <laughs> the whole time. It
1: goes all the way through the whole song. Well, yeah. He did it
2: like easily. I mean, he was like sweating. (laughs) Oh yeah. We had to open a window afterwards. Yeah. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was easy for him, but, but it was, it was efficient. He, He got through it and it was
1: incredible. It was remarkable for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, you guys recorded a song by another artist um, for the first time on Glowing Lantern. Um, I don't want to do. drive you away. What what made you want to record that song?
2: We had been playing that song for many years. I don't know how long, but quite a few years, um, off and on. And we first, Greg and I, first heard it. I, for some reason, I, I can't even imagine why we did it, but I, and Greg, you might have a better memory, but my, my memory is that we saw this Ann Murray cassette tape at like a truck stop or something somewhere on the That's road. Right. That's right. Probably right. mid nineties or something. Yep. And I don't know why, I mean, I love Ann Murray, but I don't know why. Maybe it had like a cool cover, but I don't you know, know why we got it.
1: It might have been because it, it wasn't had, a joke.
2: We, it wasn't like ironic. We didn't buy it because it was funny. We bought it because we thought it would be cool.
1: Well, it, you know, I know it had a couple songs like uh it's a lesson too late for the learning, whatever. The, what's that song called? The uh, oh, this I know, this I know. Yeah, but like, there were a couple familiar song titles on it. OK, but I don't know why we got it. But last thing on my mind. Last thing on my mind. There you go. And I think and, it also had. Size now yeah okay. but very it's her first record called what about me which we didn't know the cassette was not the first record the cassette was, like some, was yeah yeah some knockoff you know and but the we put it on it's expecting i was kind of expecting some real cheesy production you know sounding kind of like songbird or something like yeah, yeah. and this was all like Glenn Campbell's playing guitar in the background. You could hear like the LA cats were back in her and it was sort of psychedelic at moments and super psychedelic. Yeah, yeah weird. Check this out. Yeah. Buffalo in the park is a really trippy track. Um and uh, it almost reminds me of that Linda Perhack's record,
2: Parallelograms. It's sort of like as trippy yeah. as that. Right. From about the same time too, actually mm-hmm. earlier, but it's very, very psychedelic
1: in like an unconscious way. Yeah. It's like your mom got into some psychedelics or something because <laughs> her voice is super wholesome and she's singing like a songbird, but then the music behind it is just, and her performances and all. So that song just had that kind of a hips groove to it right away. We didn't know what that was. It came on, it was on like the second side. And I think at that moment where Tim and I, you know tried to start singing it great harmonies and powerful song so yeah we played we played it live for a while and then it kind of faded out and then tim you you i don't know if you heard it again or maybe during your live stream someone requested it but somehow it came I, back into I, your zeitgeist re- yeah
2: someone requested it and i i was, and i was just going through the list of requests and it was like oh, I, I think i could just play that one that's like you're always looking for the easy ones because you don't have to work as hard. And I did it and I was like, oh yeah. And then I, th- I think I had to go back and listen to a, a like a bootleg recording of it on YouTube or something of us playing it. And I was, it just reminded me like, oh yeah, we should, that thing's perfect. It's very like <laughs> Mother Hips style.
0: I've been
2: wondering and about It was written by it wasn't written by Anne mary it was written by david Within.
0: and did it come early in the process of recording it that you made the decision uh, or early in the process of recording yeah. glowing lantern so yeah yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. very it, cool we were we were kind of fishing around for some songs and we decided that we would do song in a can which is a, a, one of our own songs from many many years ago that we had never made a suitable recording of it's never been on a record before and um we decided we would do that and then we would decided we would do this david Wiffin song which was like you said scott that was the first time we'd put a cover song on a motherhood's record
0: 30 years i think it's
2: uh time time. (laughs) to do it every 30 years every 30 years (laughs) uh,
0: i look forward to see what's coming in 2051 (laughs) 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 Um, You know, one thing I don't want to um, forget to mention before we wrap is that uh, you guys recently announced uh, you're returning to Great American Music Hall in San Francisco for what I know is a can't miss set of shows on for most Mother Hips fans um, for your holiday shows. And that's December 17th to 19th this year um have you given any thought to whether there'll be any themes such as the
1: ultimate setless show this time around <laughs> not yet we're just we're just hoping they happen sure that's <laughs> you know, that, fair at enough. this point you know and and awesome. uh you know that's the main thing um and that every, you know every, leading up to it that every, people are healthy and and um but we'll see, you know, that time's coming. We'll start, we'll start seeing what what might happen. At the last time we the last time we did one in person in 2019, we did the songs, songs we grew up, grew on. And those were songs that had influenced us from like in, in our adolescent years. And so we each picked songs to do. You know, I did I did an ACDC song and a Bo Diddley song, and Tim did you know little richard and a kiss song and even buddy. danny i danny oh yeah, buddy Holly, danny eisenberg we got him to sing uh one which was great john hofer sang one john john hofer who would year of the cat he sang year, yeah year of the cat <laughs> i mean so, so awesome. yeah so now that actually now that you say that i'm kind of start, maybe start thinking about I what kind of we get the turn there might in be. a it's little fun, bit yeah it's <laughs> fun it's fun to do It's yeah yeah, we're, yeah. And it definitely brings the band together beforehand rather than just, OK, we'll, we'll see you at the show. And maybe we rehearse for a night. That way we have to rehearse for a few days and and think, you know, think about things together. So thanks for bringing that up, Scott.
0: Excellent. <laughs> I'm glad and I really hope to make it out for uh, one of these years. Yeah. For- you
1: Let us know. Yeah. We'll 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 happily save a seat for you, you know. Excellent.
0: Uh, and last question again, you earlier discussed that you are going to soon begin working on another album. Um, do you have the material ready at this point for that next album?
2: <laughs> sure.
0: <Yeah.
2: laughs> ready to go. Just yeah. waiting for the
0: And it will be co produced by the, the two of you gentlemen?
2: Yep. It correct. Will. Yep. Excellent. And John O'Manson, who we knew from our early days um, going to New York City, yeah, New York City. Fixture. He relocated to Santa Fe many years ago, I think. Now, and he's going to engineer it and help us through the process. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we have some stuff. We're working on some stuff. by By no means are we <clears throat> prepared, but we if we have another. We have a month from tomorrow. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> it's
0: getting closer,
2: but we, we, we seem to operate well. Um, when we have a deadline, it's, it's good for us. Excellent. Right. Really good. Right. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> very, Ex- very.
0: Excellent, gentlemen. Well, I really appreciate your time. Um, Glowing Lantern uh, is coming out in December on uh, Blue Rose Music, and uh, we'll be sure to to point it out. and And thanks again for your time, guys.
1: Yeah, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks for always being willing to listen to our stuff and talk about it and share it with the with the folks out there. It's always yeah. always appreciated.
0: I think I, I feel like Jambase has a very important relationship with the Mother Hips. It's always no been a big band um, for for mm-hmm. us, and and it's been since since we started uh, oh, oh, over 22 years ago. At this point, we've been writing about your band, and yeah. certainly when when I came in, it was
2: important to me to keep up that relationship.
1: Yeah, we're grateful thank for you. that. Yeah, Excellent. thank we you. Are.
0: All right. Be safe, gentlemen. All right. All
2: right man. Take, take it easy, guys.
0: for episode 105 of the JamBase Podcast. Unbelievably, we're nearing the fourth anniversary of the podcast launch in late 2017. We're extremely grateful to everyone that has listened over the last four years and 100 plus episodes. If you haven't yet, subscribe today to the JamBase Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you So leave us a review and let us know who you'd like to have interviewed on an upcoming episode. Thanks to Greg and Tim for taking the time to talk with me. Blowing Lantern arrives on December 3rd, and I bet you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Also, much love to Jake Alexander for producing this episode. Be safe out there and go see live music.